Amen. You may be seated. I so appreciate what uh, our band and tech crew help facilitate each and every week, and I, I hope you do as well. Uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. Mark, chapter 3, as you're turning there, a quick story. I recently heard uh, a story of four guys that were going to play golf one afternoon, and they're enjoying themselves, having a good time, and uh, all of a sudden some clouds start rolling in, and they start hearing a little thunder, and the rain starts coming down, they're like, ah, we're good, and so they kept playing, and then out of nowhere, a bolt of lightning hits a chain link fence that was pretty close to them, and they all just kind of stopped what they were doing and froze, and they're staring at this fence that just got lit up like a Christmas tree, and they're looking at that fence, and they get really quiet, and one of the guys pipes up and says, hey, uh, you remember that seven I got on the first hole? They were like, yeah. He's like, that was actually a five. Uh, he, he, he felt compelled in that moment uh, to get his conscience clear. And there's something about those elements in nature that, that are just kind of amazing in and of themselves. And I share that story with a purpose. You'll see that it kind of connects with uh, who we're going to be reading about today. But before we get there, uh, let me first explain. Right now, we are in a series called Labels. And we're looking at some labels that were put on some specific characters in the New Testament. A couple that we've looked at so far, Matthew, the tax collector, Simon, which was the zealot, that's right, and today we're going to be hearing about these brothers, James and John, who were known as the Sons of Thunder. So, uh, I know you just sat, but if you're new to downtown church, what we like to do is to stand for the initial reading of God's Word, just in honor of the Word of God. So, if you would, stand at this time. Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, reads, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. All right, so this is Mark's account here, and Mark gives us a list uh, and what he's doing is he's giving a list of the 12 that Jesus to, uh, chose to be his apostles. But this isn't just simply a list like just rattling off names like Simon and James and John. He, he gives a little bit more description. And what he's doing is he's offering labels that were attached to some of these guys. And the label that we see that's attached to these two brothers, James and John, is the word boanerges, which means the sons of thunder. I don't know this for certain, but if these guys were on the church softball team, I'm thinking their walkout song would be ACDC Thunderstruck. I, I think there was some oomph. There was some power to these guys. There was something about them. Now, to clarify, 
uh, James. When you and I hear James, we probably think of the book of James, right? We probably think of the half-brother of, Jam- uh, of Jesus, which is the same guy, the author of the book of James. But that's not who this is, okay? This is James and John, the sons of Zebedee, okay? So just make that disclaimer. Now, through the years, there's been a lot of pastors and teachers that have assumed that because Jesus calls them the sons of thunder, he's referring to some character flaw in them. Maybe they had this strong personality, like overbearing at times. Maybe they were hot-headed, had the short fuse, so to speak. I think it's important to consider who gave these men their labels. Look at this verse here, verse 17 of Mark chapter 3. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Okay, so who gave these brothers their label? The Sunday school answer applies. It's Jesus, right? Jesus gave these guys this label, the sons of thunder. Let's think about the other labels that we've looked at so far. We, we looked at Matthew the tax collector. Why did people call Matthew the tax collector? Why did society call him the tax collector? Because that's who he was. That, that's what he did for a living. That's what he was known by in society. Now, we did learn that Matthew kind of left those tax collector ways as he began following Christ. Same with Simon the Zealot. That's what he was known for. That was the political party that he found his identity in. But he left his zealot ways to begin following Christ. But then we come to James and John. They didn't get their label from society. They didn't get their label from a political party. Their label came from the Lord Jesus. What's interesting is if you read through the scriptures and you pay attention to when God gives someone a name, a label, if you will, when God places that name on someone, he's not reminding them of who they were. He's not making light of who they are. In fact, he places that name and that label on them, I believe, as a calling, He's letting them know this is who you are intended to be. This is your purpose. This is what I have for you. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's a guy named Abram. And Abram, his name was changed to Sunday school class, Abraham, right? And the name Abraham literally means father of a multitude. Okay, so Not only did God change his name, but he changed his name and gave him a purpose. Father of a multitude. And you know what? That's exactly what Abraham became. He became the father of a multitude. As numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. And by God's grace, we have been grafted into that number in light of what Christ has done for us. Amen? So Abraham became the father of a multitude. What about his wife? His wife, her name was Sarai, and her name was changed to Sarah, which means the mother of nations. 
the mother of nations. So he changes Abram to Abraham, gives him a purpose. Changes Sarai to Sarah, gives her a purpose, and that's what she became. She became kind of this matriarch figure for the nation of Israel. A couple of generations later, Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob. Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. Uh, The word Israel literally means to strive with God. You might recall that Old Testament story where Jacob, it sounds crazy, but this is in the Bible, he's wrestling with an angelic figure. Many believe it's the Lord Jesus himself. And so Jacob is wrestling all night long with this angelic being, quite possibly the Lord Jesus himself. And then the Lord Jesus presumably touches his hip and pops it out of socket. And from that moment forward, he changes Jacob's name, striving with God. And I don't think that's God just giving Jacob props for his wrestling abilities. I think he was placing a calling on his life, that he would continue to cling to the Lord, that he would continue to hold tightly to the Lord. And then, oddly enough, the name Israel I think that's what God's heart for Israel was, that Israel might cling to the Lord. And I think that's the same desire he has for us, that we would also cling to the Lord. So here's the idea. When God changes someone's name, it's for a purpose. So we see here in our text that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they are given a label which was the sons of thunder. Which brings us to our first of three questions that we're going to try to answer this morning. The first question is this, what does it mean? What does it mean that they are given this label, the sons of thunder? It's good to do word studies sometimes. And if you do a word study on that word thunder in the scriptures, you're going to come across some pretty spectacular moments in history that actually took place. I want to share with you a couple of those moments. Look at Exodus chapter 9, verse 23. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. Okay, so this happens, and then here's what Pharaoh told Moses after that happened. Just a few verses later in verse 28. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Okay, so Moses calls on God to call down this this intense storm, thunder. You could feel it, hail, lightning. It was a scary sight. This was intimidating to Pharaoh and all of Egypt, and it was really too much. There's another scene, not all that long after this scene, where God gives his people his law at Mount Sinai. Check this out in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. 
Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the, mount, uh, the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. The thunder, the flashes of lightning, this wasn't just the, the pop-up storm that we experience here in Mobile. This was the presence of God personified through natural elements. It was a frightening moment, a sobering moment. And it says here, the people were afraid and trembled. They were terrified as they saw this. And so you, you, you see this connection with thunder representing the power and majesty of God. Let me show you one more text. This is from the book of Job. Job chapter 40 verse 9. Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like his? All right, so here, here's what we're seeing, and here's what you do see if you keep studying this. What you see is that thunder is connected with a couple of things. It's connected with the power and majestic nature of God, and it's also connected with the voice of God. Because the Lord our God has a thunderous voice. Amen? So when Jesus, who was God in flesh, by the way, when Jesus looks at these two men, these brothers, and he places this label on them, and he calls them sons of thunder, I think there's more going on than a comical nickname, okay? I think he's placing a calling on these men's lives, that they might declare the power of God over sin, over death, over this world, that they might pass on the thunderous voice of God. So that's what thunder symbolizes in the Bible, which brings us to a second question, which is this, what happened? Okay, what happened to these guys? So if Jesus places this calling on their lives, how did that go? What happened Next, look at Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Okay, when we think about the disciples, and we're thinking about who was typically the outspoken one, who do we think of? We think of Peter, right? Bold Peter. Sometimes way too bold, Peter. Peter had a, a, a tendency of putting his foot in his mouth, right? Now, Peter was used of the Lord, and the Lord used that quality in Peter in some mighty ways. But we don't typically think of James. We don't typically think of James as being the outspoken one. But out of all the disciples, out of all the apostles, who was the first to be arrested who was the first to be martyred? It was James. Apparently, James was so bold in how he spoke and how he proclaimed the message of Christ that Herod laid violent hands on him through his soldiers, arrested him, and had him killed by running him through with 
the sword. So what happened for James? I, I think simply put, I, I think he fulfilled his purpose. I, I think James did exactly what the Lord Jesus wanted him to do, to be that son of thunder. But what about his brother, his brother John? Brothers always compete, right? So how did John measure up, right? Did John fulfill his calling that the Lord had placed on his life? I believe so. But only the way John declared that thunderous voice of God, it looked a little different. John wasn't the out front bold spokesman for Christ with his voice, but his words, what he wrote down. We have seen and heard and read the words of John for centuries in the church and all around the world. And John has boldly proclaimed the thunderous voice of God through the gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? And we read from John's gospel often. And in John's gospel, he, he reveals some pretty core truths. Just in chapter 1, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then just a couple of chapters later, he reveals that, that incredibly important purpose of why Christ came in the first place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. John was faithful to do what the Lord called him to do. Now, John was not martyred like his brother. Uh, church history tells us he, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Uh, but nonetheless, he fulfilled what the Lord had called him to do. Which brings us to a final question, which is this. Why should we care? Okay, why should we care? You might be hearing all of this and you're thinking, okay, cool, good, good for James, right? Good, good for John, good for those sons of thunder, kudos. But my name is Bob, or my name is David. Like, what has that got to do with me? I don't have a cool nickname. So what does that have to do with me? We've been hearing how God changed the name of certain people, and when he did, he was giving them a purpose. He was giving them a direction, a heading, if you will. Uh, my family and I, we have this old sailboat, and we like to take it out sometimes. I, I'm not a sailor. I don't know all the terms, and I think I've heard of a jib. I don't know what all that stuff is. But it, when, when we go out on the boat, uh, my kids like to steer the rudder sometimes, and they'll say, which way do I go? And I'll, I'll just kind of point that away, right? And I think that's what the Lord does with these names. He gives his people a heading, if you will. And I believe that's what the Lord does for us in a way as well. Let me share with you a text from the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17 he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Okay, if you are a born-again Christian, there's a couple of things I'd, like, I'd love to share with you right now. One is that the New Testament teaches us that when you believe the gospel, when you repent of your sins and you place your faith in what Christ has done for you, not what you've done, but what Christ has done for you, the Bible says you're a new creature. Okay? That doesn't mean that he gives you a new personality. It doesn't mean he takes all the quirks away from you, but you are new. You are a new person, a new creature. But not just that. The Bible reveals here that we are also given a new name. So we learned how Abram was changed to Abraham. And Sarai was changed to Sarah. And Jacob was changed to Israel. And also in the New Testament, Silas was changed to Peter. Here's the thing. You have a new name in Christ. And there will come a day when that scene that we just read, you will see it. Where you will experience it. In Bible times, when an athlete would compete in a competition... If they won that competition, kind of like the Olympics, but if they won that competition, they were given a stone, a white stone, and that white stone would serve as their admission ticket. And then after that competition was over, they could go to the celebration that evening, and they would show that white stone, and it would let them in. Here's the thing. If you're a child of God, one day you will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, and you will receive your white stone. And on that white stone, there will be something written on that white stone. There will be a new name. He gives us a new name, and I believe personally in keeping with what has happened throughout history and seeing what the Lord has done with these new names for his people, it will be a name with a purpose. And I can't tell you exactly what the Lord has mapped out for you. I can't tell you what your purpose is in this life. But I can share with you at least a portion of what the Lord wants of you and of me this morning. Check out Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, so what that text teaches us is that simply believing the right things is not enough. If you believe the Bible, good. If you believe in the gospel of Jesus, praise God. But he's calling us to do more than just believe the right things. He wants us to get to work. There's some things that he is calling us to do. There's some good works that we are called to walk in. Here's the truth. Let me talk to maybe kids, teenagers in the room. Your parents can't do this for you. Okay? 
Your parents might be faithful followers of Jesus, and they, they might be doing those good works that the Lord has placed in their path to walk in, but their doing that doesn't count for you. The Lord has things he wants you to do. Spouses can't do this for one another. Volunteers and leaders in the church can't do this for the rest of the church. I sincerely believe, and it's, it's right here in the scriptures, that there are good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there are things that God wants you to walk in. There are good works that the Lord wants you to bring about in this world. For you, maybe that looks like caring for elderly parents or elderly grandparents. Maybe that looks like walking next door and telling your neighbor of the hope you have in Christ. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. Maybe that means at some point as you're hanging out with family you haven't seen in years, you have an opportunity, even though they disagree with you staunchly, you have an opportunity to point them to the hope of Jesus Christ. What is your purpose? It could be one thing. It could be 791 things. But I believe that the Lord is calling us to some very specific good works. And I think it would behoove us as a church family to consider what is God calling me to do? What are those good works that he wants me to do? Now, you might hear that and you might be thinking, I, <laughs> I'm not a pastor, you know, that's not really my gig. I'm not, I haven't been to seminary, I haven't been to classes, I don't really feel qualified to minister to anyone like that. Can I share a verse with you? It's from the book of Acts also. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It contains one of these sons of thunder, by the way. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Okay. Don't miss this. What qualified these men was not classes. What qualified these men was not books. What qualified these men was not their immense theological prowess and knowledge. What qualified these men was simply being with Jesus. I love that that's what stood out to the world around them. They recognized, oh, they've been with Jesus. What an accusation I would love to have on behalf of anyone at this church. That they see us out in life. They see us in our workplaces. They see us around dinner tables. They see us in restaurants. They hear us speak. And they say, they've been with Jesus. Homework for this week, if I'm allowed to do that. Homework for us, church family. If you're not already doing this, be with Jesus. Okay? It doesn't matter what theological knowledge you have. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. What's important is, are you spending time with Jesus? 
Every day are you reading his word. Every day are you calling out to the Lord. I would encourage this also. Every day, just sit down and be still. Just be still and know that he is God. This might sound silly. It helps me to sit on the back porch and look at the trees. Just marvel at creation. Just marvel at God made that. To look at a sunset, God made that. He is God, I am not. And we can feel all of that flesh crop up in us. But in that moment, allow that to point your heart to the Lord. The Lord had a purpose for each and every apostle, each and every disciple, I believe the Lord has a purpose for you. And so I want to ask you once again to consider what good work, what good works does the Lord want me to walk in this week? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Our band's going to come on up. Lord, we are your people. We recognize we are not your people because we deserve to be your people. We recognize that we are your people by grace, through faith. And we believe what your word teaches, that your spirit resides in us. What a comforting thought to know that you don't just tell us what to do. You help us do what you're calling us to do. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. Lord, help us to walk in the good works that you have called us to this week. Help us to see this world through your eyes. And maybe we pray that prayer that Jesus prayed. Your kingdom come will be done here on earth as it is in heaven Lord I, I do want to lift up anyone in this room this morning and they're realizing you know what I've, I've never surrendered my heart to Jesus I ask that you would convict them of their sin that they might repent and believe today we love you we give you praise We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.